The next time you're on Interstate 80, stop in and see the folks at the Iowa 80 Truck Stop at Exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. They're always open and ready to serve you. Enjoy a sit-down meal at the Iowa 80 Kitchen or grab a bite from one of their nine quick-serve restaurants. You'll love their clean restrooms, huge gift store, beautiful convenience store, and, of course, the Super Truck Showroom stocked with plenty of chrome, lights, and more. While you're there, don't forget to visit the Iowa 80 Trucking Museum next door. It's free. The entire team at the Iowa 80 is very excited to celebrate 60 years with you. They look forward to being your home away from home for another 60 years. Sending you a giant thank you from Iowa 80, the world's largest truck stop on I-80, exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. Iowa 80. It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley. As we break into a Thursday, Gary, how are you? Doing good. Some of the things we'll be talking about... Even the liberal media just can't get off of this topic, and we just know why that they can. We know why they cannot get off uh, this topic because they know how politically bad it is for the president. Mm. This is MSNBC yesterday. Um, would you advise him to ask the president to consider visiting East Palestine? Well, the president will make his own decisions about uh, where he goes. Uh- <laughs> uh, uh, we, uh, I'm not going to touch that with a ten foot pole. <laughs> I don't want to touch that. You deal. You deal with that one. I don't want to deal with that. What do you? I'd, I'd rather actually get closer to the chemical spill than that question. <laughs> it just, uh, it, it's. But you know, the president said a few days ago that you know he didn't have any plans to go. No, no, he he's not going to go. I, he does and, because here's the thing: if I were his advisor, I would tell him. Well, you can't go now. Yeah, you can't. It's way it's way too late. That would be like, you know, uh, Bush going to visit New Orleans after Katrina in 2010. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so we'll get to that coming up. Plus, uh, whoa, uh, the Attorney General, a little bit under the gun yesterday from Republicans. Attorney General Garland, let, let me just ask you, d- does your department have a problem with anti-Catholic bias? So we'll get to that coming up, yep. <laughs> how he answered uh-huh. some of those uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I looked at this and said, let's learn you something here. Okay. You know, we, we talk about that uh, the difference between constructionist judges that the the media wants to portray that there's conservative judges versus liberal judges Mm -hmm. and that's not the reality of what goes on the vast majority of the time i'm not saying that that you will never find a constructionist judge if they're a conservative that doesn't let conservative bias get involved in it you and i have though there are rare cases when it happens but we bring it up and point it you know point it out to you when that does happen Mm -hmm. and when you look at almost you know who was a you know pure constructionist who said it would be arrogant for me 
you know, to uh, uh, to do it, it would be the late. I got just I got mind blank. Scalia. Scalia. Thank you very much, mm-hmm. Justice Scalia. Uh, he would have been the closest. Yeah. Uh, you know, we we have seen differences. We saw differences between Scalia and Thomas mm-hmm. when we said mm, Thomas is showing his conservative bias yeah. and not the constructionist viewpoint. And so right. we have actually right. brought that up before uh, on on the show. But and so it's really ninety nine percent of the time. It's the constructionists. They, they are the judges that say, we don't make these decisions. Mm-hmm. Congress does. You know, we, th- this isn't about what we think personally. And we had talked about the CNN article the other day on the whole college loan thing where you had an uh, a, a article in CNN talking about, well, these judges, they don't live the life of somebody uh, who uh, has to pay for uh, college. They don't know what it's like. They're part of the elite. None of that matters. That's not the question. The que- because that's stupid. That's uh, I, it's like we used to get we used to get uh, uh, you know calls and we would talk about a legal issue. Well, are you are you a Supreme Court judge? No. Well, then you can't talk about it. As if only Supreme Court judges are allowed to discuss the law. That the Constitution and the law is above. Yeah, the understanding of anybody who was just a regular citizen, and of course that's hogwash. Yeah, and the uh, caller is obviously also not a Supreme Court judge or justice, and yeah. called us to talk about it. Yes, I mean we we we've dealt with that before, and it's like, well, then uh, if you're uh, if you're not an electrician, uh, you shouldn't be talking about uh, the grid or. Uh, renewable fuels and well, alternative forms of energy. If you're a virologist, quit quit talking about COVID at all. Unless, unless you are one, you're saying. It, unless you're a virologist, yeah. Right, right. Quit talking about it. Uh, and and so I just, uh, th- this, I was just, right before we went on the air, I saw this and I go, well, this is a great opportunity to point out, you know, the, the bias and the difference mm-hmm. of where the, 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 the liberal justices uh, will, uh, you know, attempt to make a legal point and fail miserably. And it was Sotomayor. I remember when Sotomayor got caught, you know, remember that it was her that got caught at that conference, wasn't it? Yeah, it they were recording, and, yeah. and she was talking about legislating from the bench, and she yeah. felt that that was essentially what their role was. And then she realized that the mic was on and said, I mean, I, I know we're not supposed to talk about that and tried to walk it back, but that's exactly what they believe. So uh, here, uh, you know, here, uh, what's going on here with Sotomayor, and we'll we'll get to the actual text of it in in just a a moment, uh, is the the fact, and the left tries to do it all the time, well, the Supreme Court, why is the Supreme Court judging whether student loans uh, can be, uh, you know, know, can be forgiven or not? Mm -hmm. It's not there. The judges' roles are not, that's not what's going on here. No, the the judges are in here because, federal, you know, the the executive order has been challenged as unconstitutional, that it should be Congress that should spend this kind of money. And it is clear the president cannot the president by executive order or by time try, attempting in a very weak way to tie one law, the 2000 uh early 2000 heroes act to you know to 911 that was specific for first responders and apply it here is uh totally not within 
his power to do so. Mm-hmm. The Supreme Court is simply saying he can't do that. Congress can. Yeah. It was the same thing on the abortion issue. Mm-hmm. Well, Congress is deciding abortion. Excuse me. The Supreme Court uh, is deciding abortion. No, they're not. In fact, they specifically stated, we can't tell you where life begins. That's up to society. We're, we're, simply, we're simply telling you that we can't make the decision as to when life begins, and neither can the previous Supreme Court when they did it. It's up to Congress and the people of the United States to make that decision, which would be through the legislative branch of the states or Congress, because that was another misnomer. When the Supreme Court did it, uh, well, then uh, Congress can't. Congress could pass a law on abortion. Well, it's funny because that's exactly what the Supreme Court said. It's not our job. There are other ways to do this. Right. And, and AOC actually came out after the fall of Roe v. Wade. And she said, you know, they, she slammed the Supreme Court and said, this is why our elected representatives need to do something about it. It was like, uh, that's exactly what the court thinks. And the responsibility of a judge is to interpret the law. Mm-hmm. Here's what she said, addressing Nebraska State Solicitor General James Campbell, who argued against the Biden administration. Sotomayor said, quote, what you're saying is now we're going to give judges the right to decide how much aid to give them. Instead of the person with the expertise and the experience, the Secretary of Education, who's been dealing with educational issues and the problems surrounding student loans, Uh we're going to take it upon ourselves instead of leaving that question in the hands of the person who has experience with those questions. Now, is that disingenuous or what? Yeah, it's like the, uh, the teacher that was at the meeting and it went viral over the last week or so. And she was saying, these parents don't have the ed- the education that I have. I have a master's degree. How dare mm. they want to get involved in their kids' education? But that is a key understanding that Sotomayor doesn't give a damn about the Constitution. No. If you want, and this is absolutely clear. And then this, I've been reading uh, uh, this. Charles Cook laid it out in National Review and made the exact same points. I'll just read the points he made, which would be our points that we've been making for decades this is a nonsense argument from Sotomayor. First off, the question before the court is now is not how much aid to give students. The question before the court is whether uh, the statute it is examining, the 2003 HEROES Act, confers upon the executive branch the power to do what it's trying to do. If it does, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Yep. The amount of aid doesn't enter into that calculation. Neither does the level of expertise and experience exhibited by the incumbent Secretary of Education. That secretary could have the most sparkling mind in American history, or he could be a total moron. And in both cases, the issue before the court would be the same. Does he have the power to do it? There is no provision within the United States Constitution that accords unlimited powers to bureaucrats simply because some people consider them to be well-credentialed. As for Sotomayor's suggestion that by superintending this statutory matter, the court is taking upon itself to set policy instead of leaving that decision in the hands of the person who has expertise with these questions, that too is absolutely not. Uh, as uh, as 
was noted, Elena Kagan made this argument in last year's EPA case. The court appoints itself instead of Congress or an expert agency, the decision maker on climate policy, Kagan wrote in the dissenting opinion. I cannot think of many things more frightening. And that was a bunch of hogwash as well. In that controversy is this one. The court was not appointing itself as a decision maker. It was deciding where the decision making power lies. Was it in Congress? which the plaintiffs claimed and had not yet legislated on the issue, or was it in a federal agency that had been empowered by Congress to execute congressional legislation? In that case, the court determined it was Congress. Congress makes the law, not the executive branch. And this shows you again, you know, we've been, we've been on this little narrative this week about every major issue out there the left lies about. Sotomayor is lying about this. Well, if the Secretary of Education were still Betsy DeVos, would she say the same thing? No. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. And we would we would be saying the same. We would be we would hold it the wouldn't same hold opinion. for Betsy DeVos right. with us either. Right. Because the authority isn't with the Secretary of Education or the or in the executive branch. It's with right. the legislative branch. And if they want to do that, then they can do that. And it's, it's, it's that simple, but that understand, you know, they, they may try to use fancy words, but it's still the same thing. Sotomayor in that case, Kagan in the other case with the EPA versus the coal industry, both are lying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both are lying about what it is about and they're smart enough to know that they're lying about it. Right. Well, because the only, uh, the only motive is to is to get emotional support, right? I mean, you're you're trying to get people fired up about something so that there is some kind of political will one way or the other. You're not going to change the legal argument as much as they try to get away from the legal argument. But uh, it, it's something that we've talked about, and I just thought that Charles, you know, Cook hit it, and yeah. you and I've been talking about this for decades. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 pointing out when it happens, and I'm so glad that he put that quote in there. Yeah, and it was like that's that's perfect because right. it shows you very simply and precisely where the justices like Sotomayor and Kagan will absolutely lie about what the issue is, right? Because they can't defend it by law, so they lie about what's going on. No, I mean it's it's very simple. This should be a 9-0 decision. Yeah, it's very it clear. Yeah. You have to go out of your way to try and make this one happen. Yeah. Well, you have to lie about it. Yep. 866-90-RED-EYE. It's not always easy to spring back from the harsh days of winter to warmer months ahead. From de-icing chemicals to hidden debris underneath snow and ice, winter conditions can do serious damage to your truck. Here's a must-do maintenance check to help you minimize downtime and stay rolling. Inspect your brake hoses, linings, and slack adjusters for any wear and tear. Listen for any air leaks that may have resulted from moisture freezing up in the system. Check slack adjusters for proper stroke and lubrication. And check your brake linings or pads to ensure proper thickness. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. 
And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. You know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CP Red Eye. That's the letters CP Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690-RED-EYE. So you may wonder why uh, justices like Sotomayor and Kagan lie about the law and mm-hmm. lie about, for example, what the the uh, the student uh, transfer of, of loans from people who signed a contract to take out that loan and receive the benefit to people who did not sign the contract and received no benefit of that uh, loan. You wonder, why do they lie when legally it's so easy to point it out? Why would they lie like that? They can't defend. In a debate, they couldn't defend it. No. She could not, in a debate, defend it. No. But why do they feel that they can do it? Well, we'll go back to the survey. And the latest one was taken in late September of last year. Less than half of U.S. adults can name all three branches of government. One in four, 25% could not name any. If you can't name the three branches of government, which, uh, well, I'm, I'm sorry, only only right, 47% could name all three branches of government. 25% right, couldn't name one. Couldn't name one. Uh, um, and, and so that means that uh, uh, you had 56%, uh, yeah, fifty-six percent could not name all three branches of government. Mm. You know, right. and twenty-five percent couldn't name any. Right. Which means the majority of Americans 
live in the United States of America and they have no idea how the hell their country works. Well, I mean, Al- Alan Omar was out there uh, in front of the Supreme Court, you know, the other day. And she's just she's got, you know, her followers out there. Do we think that the president has the authority or has the power or should be, you know, uh, forgiving student loans and everyone? Yes. Based on what? You're standing in front of the Supreme Court. It's not a legal argument. They can get away with it because they they know that nobody is going to be able to put two and two together on the legal argument if you can't even name the three branches of government, then how do you know separation of powers? You don't. And that shows you the... And that's what they're depending on. They're depending on the willful ignorance of the American public. Yeah. My God, I've known the three branches of government. I... It had to be in seventh grade or before. I don't even know all my vows yet, and I know the three branches of government. <laughs> I know sometimes why the, on the think vows. Think about but. this. The majority of American citizens have no idea how their government actually works. They have no idea the basis of the Constitution of the United States. Yet, they want to get rid of it. I can guarantee those people that say that the Constitution is antiquated, the majority of those people, the vast majority, do not know the three branches of government and cannot tell you what the separate why this what the separation of powers is and why it exists. They have no idea. No. That's how bad it is in the United States, and that's why these leftist Supreme Court judges can get away with lying to the American public. fourth branch of government eric harley and gary mcnamara on red eye radio and he is eric harley and i'm gary mcnamara 86690 uh, red eye so when you see because i'm this is the the uh, the polling from last september mm-hmm. is the latest that we have and if you've been a long time listener to the show you know we've done this for the longest time when we talk about why the liberal justices can get away with lying to the American people about what the law is and they know they're lying. Mm -hmm. And in this case, we gave you the example of Sotomayor with the uh, uh, college uh, loan uh, case, uh, you know, in front of them right now. Uh, And, well, the vast majority of the people don't even understand the three branches of government, so she can sit there and say whatever she wants, and half the country has no idea what's going on. So when I see this... Because this is funny, because this is right beneath it. Uh, 56% of Americans have no idea how the country runs. They have Mm. no idea what the three branches, they cannot name the three branches of government. If you can't name the three branches of government, you don't know why they exist. And as you pointed out, they don't understand the separation of powers. Mm -hmm. Then right beneath it, over half of Americans disapprove of the Supreme Court. Well, yeah, because they don't even know how it fits in to 
the three branches of government and the separation of powers. You can't possibly know the <laughs> right. purpose of the Supreme Court right. if you don't know the three branches, branches of, of government. government. Exactly. You don't know what their role is. And that's what we're dealing with in this country. Complete and total ignorance. Which is why, again, and I think it's important to say why liberal justices are are, are so willing to, with incredible arrogance, lie about what a case is, as Sotomayor did with the college loan. Well, and, you know, look, case in, in a society where we have less, where a generation has less and less respect for authority, then you basically assign authority where you think it should belong at the moment. Yeah. I actually saw somebody comment that said, well, why can one judge say this and another judge in a different court say something different? That's how the system works. Whether it's the appellate court or the highest court, the Supreme Court. Those are the levels of authority in the judicial branch. But if you don't believe in authority, if you're looking at, at uh, you know, a a number of people in our society that just want to take authority away or at the very least don't respect the authority that our system provides, then they won't, they'll assign authority where they believe it should be. And if they don't know the three branches of government, then they have no idea how the separation of powers works. And all of that is about authority, the checks and balances of our system and if you don't care about authority you probably don't care about learning about the three branches of government well no all you care about is someone will scream at you and say as you you talked about alan omar you know should the president be able to do that? yay yes yeah we, we i believe want, he can you know? i want no? i i want i want i want right so give the authority to anybody who gives me what I want exactly. and the Constitution be damned. Right. Because they don't really care about it. No, they don't. And and that's it. Because in the perfect example, you know, because that's why I brought up the argument with uh, Betsy DeVos. If if Betsy DeVos were, the, were still the Secretary of Education, would Sotomayor have made that point? Well, no. But we, we could go back to the Iran deal. Iran deal, and Obama made that deal with Iran without Congress. After Obama was no longer in office and Trump was in office, there there was a there was a poll that came out and said, "Do you believe that the president should make the deal or that Congress should make the deal?" And the majority—I don't think it was a plurality. I think it wasn't I think the majority, it was majority yeah. that said. We believe that should happen through Congress. Then it was specific and used Trump's name. Do you believe Trump should repeal the Iran deal and send it to Congress? No! It, because there, there's what it comes down to. Right, and right. and they, how many cases uh, of, of uh, executive orders and things like that where it was, well, if you believe the president has the authority... The executive branch has the authority, and they do have the authority on, on certain items. 
Now, that authority only lasts as long as their presidency because the next president can overturn it. Because if one president has the authority, the other president has the uh, uh, the next right. president has the authority to repeal it and do the opposite. It, it, but that's, you know, those are the things that that the left wants to dismiss and not pay attention to. It shouldn't be that way. But but more and more, they'll they're trying to convince you, well, we shouldn't have a Senate. We shouldn't have a Supreme Court or maybe we should have a Supreme Court of 40 or 50 justices sitting up there i mean i don't know how far they would pack it if they could these are these are the things that everybody in their mind starts getting in their mind well yeah no you're right it should because things aren't going their way you know if you've got a hundred thousand hundred and fifty thousand dollar college loan and you're looking for the government or anybody to come in and just wipe a chunk of that off of your balance sheet then, yeah, you start looking at things going, no, it should be that way. But until you get into the actual legal argument and the separation of powers and why our system is the way it is, then, honestly, it's all an emotional argument. It's not a legal argument at all. Yeah. And politically, there are some things, and we talked about that earlier this week. Look, there are a number of things there. But politically... Uh, the the discussion takes a different turn. I mean, this is you know the the uh, uh, Roberts, the Chief Justice Roberts, was uh, talking about it. I think a couple of the other justices were talking about fairness the other day in the hearing. All right, I I don't like hearing the fairness thing because uh, that's not the legal argument. I understand how hearings work and they're they're going through the entire thing, but that's more of the political argument of okay, let's take a look if our representatives wanted to do this and let's just say they're going to start discussing this debating this on the floor in the house then you start having that of okay this is why i support it this is why my constituents want it and then this is why you know the next uh, representative this is why my constituents don't want it this is fair that isn't fair we can't spend this kind of money you start having those but they have the authority to make it happen if they want to do that the executive branch Actually, if we want them to do that, um, if the executive branch uh, uh, does this, this is far beyond their authority. Right. And and it's the, the thing is, it's not that complicated either. I mean, I, do, I believe I could be mistaken, but looking back at my life, I believe I did not learn about the three branches of government in school. I believe it was my father. Yeah. Because early on, you know, I remember... Uh, you know, growing up in the Cold War, mm-hmm. uh, I I remember the Cuban Missile Crisis, mm-hmm. and it's amazing the things that you know. You, you, and they say, well, kids can't handle anything. And I remember going to sleep every night. We're six, seven years old, and you remember it. You know, it's like, oh no, will the world be around tomorrow? But yeah. I remember the Cuban Missile Crisis mm-hmm. at that time, mm-hmm. and the fact that you know, nuclear war could could happen as a kid. Yeah, and I think at that point. You know, there were questions that I had and the my brothers and sisters had, you know, why is this going on? Why are we different? And then my father went through to explain communism and then explained very simple, you know, that we're different, that it's not a one party system, that we have a two party system politically. But then you have he explained to us the separation of powers. And it's a very I mean, it's simple. You have the legislative uh, branch, which is the House and the Senate. Uh, you have uh, the uh, uh, the judicial branch, 
uh, which is the you know the courts and the, mm-hmm. the federal courts and the Supreme Court, and then you have Red Eye Radio. The exe- <laughs> then you have the executive <laughs> branch, the President of the United we're States. We're the fourth branch. Yeah. Well, we're the fourth <laughs> branch. That's right. Exactly right. <laughs> Thank you, Deep Voice Guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and so the executive branch, when it comes to things like uh, war and being commander in chief. Congress can't tell him what to do. That's why, for example, every presidency has rejected the War Powers Act, Mm -hmm. where Congress has said, we want to limit the president's ability to do this in war. He must report to us. He must do that. Now, most presidents abide by that because politically it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. But every single administration since the War Powers Act has come out has specifically said constitutionally, we don't have to abide by this. We will, because we know this is, is serious, but Congress can't tell uh, the executive branch. They can cut up our funding. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to many aspects of war, Congress cannot tell the executive branch, which is the president, what to do. The founding fathers said, okay, only one person can, one person, the buck has to stop if we're at war or the security of the United States is there. You can't run that through Congress at times, you need an instantaneous decision. Right. Most people understand that. Right. The other powers that the president has are the powers that Congress gives him. Mm. If they say, we'll allow the president to do this, or we'll allow the president to do that, or we'll allow the president to do that, or there'll be leeway in many of these bills where the executive branch can decide what to do, that's where really executive orders, for the most part, come in, mm-hmm. is where Congress has approved of it. And the judicial branch... You know, and and Congress is supposed to spend the money. Congress spends the money and makes the law. Right now, uh, but the judicial branch is simply supposed to decide what's constitutional, and that's what's going on. It's not hard to understand this stuff. It's no, very no. simple, and you you understand that the reason they did this was the fear of the founding fathers of power being concentrated in one area of the government. That's what they were trying to stop. Mm-hmm. And you've seen this push and pull back and forth. But the fact is, when over half of Americans have no... No wonder. Well, Amer- half of Americans d- don't like this, what the Supreme Court's doing. Half of Americans have no idea why the Supreme Court exists. Right. And it's really amazing how the numbers sort of coincide. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's really yeah. amazing. Well, yeah, they're mm-hmm. completely ignorant. They don't but think about that. It's something that to me was such a basic thing and you understood it right away. You understood it. You went, "Okay, even as a kid, you could understand that, right?" Yeah, sure. Communism, one-party system. Mhm. Mm-hmm. You know, government controls all the businesses and whatever, mm-hmm. okay. Okay. I don't like that. As a kid, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I like this. Yeah, because people disagree all the time. My father would tell us. And so you've always got this push and pull, but power can't be concentrated. So there's no chance of a one-party system or a dictatorship in the country. Right. Unless the culture of it dictates it, as we're finding out now. Over the well, last you know, what's years. interesting is the kid, mine was, I had a, uh, a very young child. I, I had a very selfish reason. My dad went over to fight in the Vietnam conflict when I was very young. And when he came home, I was starting to learn about, okay, why did dad go somewhere else? Right. And then I was, I didn't 
like the fact that, you know, others could tell my dad, you've got to go, right, that he had a boss in that way. And then I learned about how the military works and how the system works, and that basically was, that explanation was to calm me down. And he said, look, if, if we lived in a different country, it would be it would be much, much different. And I I, I serve voluntarily. I, I do this on my own. I want to do this so I can help protect you and your brothers, your sister, your mom, and everybody who lives here. And, you know, he, he started explaining things to me as if I were a child because I was. <laughs> but I was, you know, and it was one of those things where, you know, there it was – it was one. It was a learning process where I felt, you know, it, where my parents felt I needed to learn this in order to, uh, to to satisfy a very big concern, because my dad was gone during that time, and I really had to settle that emotionally as a kid, and they knew that, and so that was kind of the basis for teaching me and my brothers and and my my sister wasn't old enough yet, but uh, teaching us how the system works. And why we have the system we have. 86690-RED-EYE. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690-RED-EYE. And then you look at... What uh, liberals want to do to the schools today, brainwash our kids into CRT and the liberal transgender activist movement. They don't wish to teach civics. They don't want, yeah. you know, they don't want, I, you know, I believe that they want people to be ignorant. If people aren't ignorant, the Democrats cannot win. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. No, and, I mean, and that's, so you, yeah. you've, uh, you, you've seen it. It's blatant out there because why wouldn't? First thing you would look at. Because you look at, you know, you and I remember the Louisiana situation with the charter schools there mm-hmm. when the Obama administration tried to come in and cut it down. And it was minority parents that threw a fit. Yeah. Parents across right. the board love school choice. Right. It's government that doesn't. Why? Why? Top of the Hour News is brought to you by House Products. Visit HouseProducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE, if you would like to get in. <laughs> and I know we're talking about the the, uh, the Supreme Court and, and uh, uh, the arguments uh, two days ago, hmm. uh, on the uh, the school trans, or excuse me, the uh, the college loan transfer program, yeah, uh, that uh, that Biden wants to uh, do, and the Supreme Court uh, justices on the left, and this uh, case Sotomayor, uh, you know, lying about what the case is about, and we just think it's important to be specific because I think it's a 
That's a hell of a charge when you say a Supreme Court mm-hmm. justice is lying. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's why we went through exactly what we she said and then broke it down why it's a lie. Right. But as we said, she can get away with the lie because the majority of people in the United States, the majority of people, according to the Annenberg polling last year, cannot tell you what the three branches of government are, which means over half of people, roughly 56%, according to the poll, have no idea how their government works. Yeah, right. And it's not hard to figure out, as we explained last hour. But uh, before we get to more of that and a couple of calls on that, too, the... Oh, gosh. I was wrong. Yeah. I said that the school board in Canada would not respond to the Canadian high school teacher with the massive Z cup prosthetic breasts. Mm Mm-hmm. They did. They put him on paid leave. Why? The New York Post caught him out in public without the breasts. Oh. New York Post got pictures of him without the breasts. And he was claiming that the breasts were real. But he's also claiming he's a woman. So here's my question. Yeah, I think this is a good question I think you had there. Now, if he can claim legitimately that he is a female, yes, why can't he legitimately claim that those are real? Yes. If you can change biology, if you can change science, mm-hmm. because no, that's a great point. Because as, as we attempt to figure out the liberal rulebook, why, why should the 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 rulebook? require him to go through like hormone therapy it, it actually doesn't right if, if you look at it right but the practice has been for those going through a transition you would take female hormones now i don't know if he's taking them or not i have no idea but just as an example he's using prosthetics and why is that any different than anything else in this equation? Right. He's claiming one thing that is clearly not the case. So why is he on paid leave? If he can claim he's a woman. Teachers union? <laughs> I don't know. No, 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 no. I, I yeah. understand what you're saying. If he can claim, if in Canada, if you say you're a biological woman and you're a biological man, and by saying so makes you the biological woman, then why can't you claim that the prosthetics are really are real breasts? If 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 you are a yes. if you're the father of a transgender and you refuse to call them by their preferred pronoun, you go to jail. There's punishment for that, right? Yes. The, why? Why? Well, the school board has to go to jail the, now. Why does the school board <laughs> get to issue, in this case, paid leave? So the guy gets a paid vacation. Paid leave, which is punishment. Because he claims something that biologically wasn't true. What's different? Yes. 
He should get his job back, and the paid leave should end. My God, the liberal circular firing squad in Canada may be better than the liberal circular firing squad in the United States. Yeah, no, because it's we can always say, well, no, this is where it's headed. Well, up there, it's already there. Yeah. I did see the New York. When you create rules like this, the New York Post pictures and the story just a minute. It's like that. Right. It's just greatness. When you create rules like this, expect these types of scenarios to come up because what you're saying is no, 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 no. We have this set of rules. Well, that's what the people who oppose what you're doing and what your rules are were saying before. And they're wrong. They're bigoted. In fact, they're breaking the law. Well, why is this any different? He's claiming something that isn't biologically true. Right. And he's being punished for it. How dare you? Jail the school board. All of them. <laughs> if I'm the lawyer up there for the teacher, no, that's that's the case I'm making. Yeah. Why is it any different? <laughs> well, because those are ridiculously how dare, dare you? you? If I were to say it's ridiculous that a man is living as a woman, what would happen to me in Canada? Ask Jordan Peterson. Exactly. So why is this any different? Claiming something that isn't biologically true, you can't bring biology into it, and you can't measure how, well, I guess technically they can measure, because what did you say, it's a Z cup? Z. Yes. Yeah, I mean, they can measure in that way. But you cannot, on the ridiculous scale, measure and say and apply your sensibilities to it and say, well, you can't do that because they're enormous. Well, that would be bigoted. It would be. Because they're not professional because, because that's what they wrote. And you and I went through what the school board wrote yesterday where they didn't get specific at all. Could you imagine being in that meeting where we we need to talk about professionalism, but we can't talk about what we're really talking about? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And if, again, if you... This is just great. I mean, when it runs through your head, you're just like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but as, as you said, if if you can make the claim that is that is a complete lie that a biological woman is a biological man because they say so, then it doesn't matter whether the breasts are fake or not. The breasts can be real because you say so. They're real to him. Right. And so if you criticize it because they're a distraction, because they're too large... Mm-hmm. then in essence, you are body shaming. And you're body shaming. There you're, you go. You're, you're, we're going to borrow from another page in the rule book, but it's not our rule book. We don't write the rules to be clear. Right. Yeah. Well, this is, uh, and I always wonder about somebody who doesn't know us and cuts into the middle of our conversation. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> who thinks these guys are just nuts? <laughs> no, 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 no. We're making fun of the rule book, <laughs> the liberal if, rule book. If a biologically a biological female teacher 
were of the same proportion. <laughs> Seriously, when NORAD is calling saying, uh, is that you or <laughs> then would it be the same? You could actually claim it would. It's a uh, will. Will he claim it's a disability? Because it would be uh, <laughs> disability body shaming. Because oh man, I mean, I'm it, telling you, if, we're rewriting the liberal if it, rule book here in Canada. If it were biologic, biologically true across the board, right? Biological female with the same cup size naturally. Number one. Would she be working as a teacher? But number two, if she were, would you? Wouldn't that be body shaming if they were to take this same? If it's a distraction, which I'm sure it is, but would you take the same measure? No, no, you couldn't. No, it'd be discrimination. Yes, and body shaming. Body shaming, discrimination. And under their rules, how is it not discrimination here? If he can claim something that is not biologically true, then where are the boundaries? Right. And like I said, uh, dis- would that be against some type of disability act in Canada? Because you know, uh, in the real world, if a woman actually had those size breasts, there would ninety nine point nine percent of women would have terrible back problems. Yes, they would. Many of them would get reduction surgery. Yes. Yeah. And those, but these are the questions you have to ask. They're the ones that set the basis for all of this in creating rules and laws that say that you can claim something that isn't biologically true. Right. If that's the case, then it's got to be across the board. That's my argument before the courts in Canada. Yeah. If I'm if I'm the attorney, restore his status immediately, or face a lawsuit yep. for discrimination. I, no, I think that could be coming next. Yeah, and jail the school board. Yes. Uh, by the way, we I want to make clear again because sometimes people miss our sar- sarcasm. That is known. As sarcasm. Yes, we're going by their standards. Yes, their because standards, if you'll treat a father that way for not using the right pronoun with his child, then how could you not treat the school board for threatening now the livelihood, even though it's paid leave, threatening the livelihood of this individual here in the same way? Because you're saying you're not going to recognize his preference. We will keep the death penalty off the table, though. Yes, yeah, no, no, no. We're yeah, we're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's we're we're not inhumane. Thirty to thirty-five years with good behavior. That's a, that's all we're talking about. Eight six six ninety red eye. Least owner operators should be aware of four common revenue myths, lest you fall into the trap of mistaking revenue for profit. Myth one: Concentrate on increasing revenue because costs will take care of themselves. This is not true, as costs are fundamental to the profit equation and the area where owners exert the most control to improve. Myth two, more revenue per mile is the answer to all problems. Though carrier pay packages differ in structure, revenue per mile really doesn't change much from company to company. But there can be a big difference in miles, overall gross revenue, reimbursements, and fees. Myth three, all you have to do to be successful is run a lot of miles. In reality, revenue is only half of the profit equation. 
Costs are the other half. It's possible to generate a lot of revenue, yet spend a dollar ten to make every dollar. Myth four. You can tell how well you're doing by the size of your settlement check. The settlement check is only a part of the success picture. Miles driven, loads hauled, conditions, mechanical problems, time off, and especially costs all have to be considered. Owner Operator Business 101 is provided by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. Transfer mm-hmm. case in front of the Supreme Court in Sotomayor. Yeah. And our allegation is, and we backed it up by actually saying what she said and what the specifics of the case actually are, how she lied trying to make the case that we justices can't decide, you know, how much of a loan is forgiven. They're not. They're no. not doing that. No. Uh, and they're not the ones that are deciding this. What they're only deciding is, is it constitutional for the executive branch to do this? Right. And she knowingly lied, but we brought up again how the last survey by the uh, Annenberg Institute found that 56% of Americans cannot name the three branches of government. Mm-hmm. She lies because she can depend on the ignorance of half of the American public having no idea how the country works mm-hmm. and who has what authority. Yeah. Let's go to Mark in Kansas City. Mark, welcome. You're on Red Eye Radio. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah, I, my son is a great example of the, uh, the in, insufficiency of... Uh, um, civics education. He's 35 years old, okay? He has a degree from Purdue University. He went to law school. He graduated law school, okay? He has, he passed his law exam. He was sworn in as a lawyer in the state of Illinois. I asked him, I said, son, who do you think will pay for these student loans if they're forgiven? You know what his answer was? What? He said, nobody. That's what forgiveness is all about. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Now, it needs wow. to be a, said, yeah. He's a lawyer in the state of Illinois. Mm. It needs to be a... Uh, That's my son. I am so... I just can't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, it, there needs to be a... Uh, if he passed the bar... There are some questions there that he maybe needs to go back on that uh, bar exam and review. Uh, I think I think what's needed is a family financial intervention. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Uh, thanks, Mark. Thanks. We thanks appreciate so you sharing that with us. Yeah, I mean, we do. Yeah, it has uh, to be t- no, it's got to be tough to do that. Sure, I mean, it's not um, easy to do that. It's but it's extreme frustration. You know, I'm and sure. and again, his son having gone through the system as he says, and you know, passed the bar exam. Um, there are very that it's when you go through that process, you don't have to be studying constitutional law to come across the separation of powers <laughs> when you're when you're when you're studying to be a lawyer. Yeah, I mean, in it, fact, it, it shouldn't even you shouldn't that should have happened long before you went to law school. But yeah, at the very least, uh, certainly by the time you pass the bar. But that's why they call it loan forgiveness, because mm-hmm. the whole point is nobody has to pay. And you and I talked about how it reminded us of the Seinfeld episode, you know, where uh, uh, Kramer is t- 
telling, I guess, Jerry's, what, stereo or something isn't yeah, working. Right. So they, they're they going to, you know, I don't know what they're going to do. They send it out or something. And mm-hmm. if it's damaged, just, you know, it's no big deal because the companies just write it off. Or I forgot what it, it is. Yeah, yeah. But it was the whole, it was the write it off episode. It's like when they write it off and Seinfeld looks at him and says, you have no idea what that means. And neither do you, but they do, and that's why they, they write, it write it off. That it's just this yeah. word right. that it's just the money just disappears. There is no consequence uh, 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 to that. And again, um, that comes to, a, a, you know, we talk about political ignorance of over half the country does not know uh, how, you know, this country works, what the Constitution is about the the three branches of government, the separation of powers. So a Sotomayor can tell them, uh, you know, anything that they want. But the same thing with economics. Mm-hmm. We are an mm-hmm. economically illiterate country mm-hmm. where people have no idea how economics actually works. Well, it's it's you know it's interesting because they take that the left is this is what they've done since the beginning, and that is they use these noble words, right? That loan forgiveness. Oh, see, this is what forgiveness is all about. Yeah, well, who told you this is actually forgiveness? This isn't forgiveness it's transfer. in the sense that you believe it is. No. And then, you know, I mean, we, we talked about it. The Affordable Care Act. Affordable. Nope. Care. Nope. Act. Yes, it's all an act. <laughs> no doubt. But this is the problem that we have when you have willfully ignorant people who insist. And all they'll do is focus on what's in it for me. I, I, I don't care. But are they going to do it or not? Are they going to they forget my loan? It's just and it's American if I get relief. Right. Doesn't right. matter how. Yep. Just give me what I want. Yep. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Call and join the conversation. 1-866-90-RED-EYE. Red Eye Radio. And he's Eric Carney, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Uh, you know, I just thinking about the first hour and a half of the show, and it 
truly is insane what's coming from the left. I mean, everything is just yeah. completely, yeah, uh, it is. is, is, uh, is completely insane, but it's easy. And, and that's why, um, you know, we, we look at the Republican party and say, Hey, if you articulate things right, you can't lose and you can right. break down like, as we did earlier in the show with Sotomayor, you can break it down and explain to people what the three branches of government are and what the justices, the constructionist judges are doing, and you can easily convince independents. You're never going to convince, you know, the last caller talking about his son. You're probably never going to convince his son, but that's not who you're trying to convince. You're right. trying to convince independents. You're trying right. to convince about 10% of the, 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 the population who may be ignorant but are willing to learn. Yeah. And yeah. that's fine. Ignorance is not an insult. It means you just lack the facts about how things are done. Uh, you know, stupid, you know, as, as something that you would never call, uh, you know, Biden, uh, you know, st- <laughs> <laughs> going from the quote the other day in yeah. case people are watching. He may, he says, I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. <laughs> well, and saying you're stupid might be taken as an insult. Ignorant means I said it the other day. I said I'm ignorant on this on this particular thing of some topic. Mm-hmm. It's not an insult. It means I don't have the I don't have the facts or the knowledge on this particular thing, and that's where a lot of the American public is. But if you know that you are and you don't wish to learn because it hurts your narrative, then you are you are truly at that point you know willfully ignorant, mm-hmm. and you know that's the. You know, it's the reality of where we are today. And mm-hmm. again, both on law, the three branches of government, economics. Yeah. I mean, it's across the board, the ignorance in in this country. And that all goes back to education. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Kevin in Chicago. Kevin, welcome. You're on Red Eye Radio. Hi. Hi. Yeah, I totally agree with you guys, because when I was growing up, they had a TV show that came on every Saturday morning. It was called Schoolhouse Rock. It taught us, I don't know if it was nationally shown, but it taught the branches of government. It taught how government works, taught how bills are made and passed. And my own little survey just growing up here in the Chicago area, most people, even middle class successful people, are, I guess what you would call willfully ignorant as far as economics 101 and how our government works. Liberals argue from their feelings but you can't get them to see the facts. And, you, and it's like they don't understand that, like you were saying, as far as when you forgive something, somebody has to pay for it. Somebody has to pay for the doctor. Somebody has to pay for the light. Somebody has to pay. That just doesn't disappear. Yeah, right. And so it doesn't, you know, it's it just, I've, I've been saying this for a very, very long time. I didn't even know I was a conservative. You know, I didn't, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a Republican. I'm definitely not a Democrat. But... It's like I've been saying this for so many years as far as especially I'm a black American and every most people that I know don't have a clue about how our government works. And so when you get politicians that promise them everything and they depend on their willful ignorance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they promise them everything. Yeah. And then you try to tell them just simple stuff. It's like their eyes glaze over and they just, you know, I mean, I've been called all kind of names. I mean, you can imagine, and it just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's past sad. 
Mm. It's past sad. Mm. You know, and I noticed that talk show hosts, you guys come around to stuff to where a lot of Americans have seen this years and years in the making. Mm -hmm. Because I remember when Barack Obama was running, I used to call him a liar when he was a state senator in Illinois, when he ran for president. And I never heard anybody on radio call him a flat-out liar, you know, until, until his, last, his last term, and I think two years after that, then they started really calling him what he was. And it's like the Republican Party do not break things down to the American people. And I think if they did, like what you just said, I think they, it would go a long way because I think the Republicans give American citizens too much credit for knowing how the government works. And if they broke it down a little bit, I think they will uh, gain a lot of ground with the independents. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they have a lot of work to do in, in, in terms of their narrative. But uh, And to be clear, uh, we were very early, and we don't take it lightly. We don't, we don't just throw out things and say, well, they're a liar. We'll tell you why they're lying, why we believe that they're saying something they know isn't true. And, and during the promotion of the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, uh, he was lying, and we knew he was lying, and we said it repeatedly. And again, we're not on here to to get that kind of attention. We're here to what what we do, what we practice here on this program, is we're going to give you our opinion, but it's going to be based in something, and you're going to know why we think that way, whether you agree or not. Um, but those are the things that, you know, I think overall, uh, you know, you, you touched on a number of things there, Kevin, and, and I think, you know, it is beyond sad but they know the liberals know we talk about what the how much work the republicans need to do but what the what the democrats have been very good at is building out what daniel patrick moynihan a democrat years ago called the pathology of dependency and that was once you start giving more and more to the public they're going to demand even more and more and there's no way to break that pathology and gary kind of alluded to that uh, as we were going into the bottom of the hour break. But those are the things that, you know, that it's, look, I I just want something for me, and the government has been giving things out. And they were talking about it uh, just the other day, screaming about it. Well, big business got a break. Well, big business got a break because Congress acted. And Congress can act to change student loans as well. The question here, the legal question at hand, is whether or not the president can, and we believe clearly he cannot. He does not have and the authority. One thing I want to touch on, Kevin, because you said you're you're called names. Are, is it based on the fact that that it seems like you have independent thoughts? You told us you're black. You have independent exactly. thoughts. Is that from your liberal black friends who, in essence, because we've talked about this a lot, and this is one of the things that I know bothers us the most, and it's been around for a while, how uh, uh, blacks who, who think independently and and in an autonomous way that you don't judge yourself by your skin color you judge yourself by your brain you judge yourself by your character you judge yourself by you know the 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 substance of your argument your critical thinking all these things that are all about the mind and when you do that you're criticized in a racial way of for example not being authentically black we've talked about tim scott and other uh, uh, conservatives that are called Uncle Toms, uh, excuse me, Uncle, uh, an Uncle Tom, and to me that is that comes from the liberal black leadership in this country, and it comes from liberals that you know dominate the Democratic Party. You go through that, 
that's got to be painful. It has to be painful at times, but eventually you've got to put up the wall, don't you? You just got to put up a wall and go, I don't care what you say. You're absolutely right. I had a, a, a conversation with older black men before Obama was elected, and they told me, well, young blood, you don't know how it is. You know, we're going to have the first black president, this and that. Now, I'm, I'm originally from Alabama. I seen the Klan march when I was a kid, full dress. Now, these guys, it was four or five older black gentlemen. It's probably about 60-some, 70 years old. This was before Obama got elected. Oh, you don't know how it is. You know, we're going to have this, this, and that. And I said, and, and they, they, in other words, called me ignorant. And I sat up here and listened to these guys, and I said, okay, since I don't understand it, and you're saying that you was around during the civil rights movement, this is that. I said, but you're taking exactly what Martin Luther King stood for, the number one quote that he's known around the world for, judge a man by the content of his character, not by his skin. You're taking that and turning it totally upside down, throwing it out the window, but you're calling me ignorant. I mean, it's just like, and they got mad at me because I just sat up here and told them that, you know, you guys, and most of them were from Chicago, you know, they, you know, they say, oh, yeah, I, I've experienced racism, and racism exists, but that's human nature. You cannot legislate that out. But the thing is, you know, I just see it, and, and yeah, I've been called names because I think for myself. I was raised to, 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 to think for myself, and if anybody think, tells you that you're supposed to think a certain way or act a certain way because you're black, that is sheer racism and that's ignorance on their be- on their behalf mm. and so I, i've taught my kids that you never if you make a decision or if you go a certain path do it because you chose that not because you're expected to do that or you know just because your skin color or your friends do it and that's the way i was raised but yeah i've been called names because i think for myself and i'm very outspoken and i have zero tolerance yeah, ignorance. if the goal is too much ignorance, I think you agree with this. If the goal is not to judge people in an autonomous way, that you are a human being completely separate, and I'm very curious about you know what you're about, and I'm have no preconceived uh, ideas about you based on your skin color. That's the way that it's supposed to be. You should be a mystery to me. I shouldn't sit there and and. And and anybody shouldn't think, well, if this person is a particular skin color, then they must think this way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the problem. You have to look at people in a completely, uh, until we get to that point of doing it, then we're always going to have a problem. But it's institutionalized. The identity politics of judging people as a group is institutionalized and, and systemic yeah. in the Democratic Party. You know, it's funny when I talk to people, especially, you know, white, black or whatever, and we get to talk in politics. So they assume, because I'm, I look younger than I am, you know, I'm 53 years old. I have three kids that graduated from college. My youngest is a sophomore in college. But we talk, they start talking politics. And then when they hear me talking, you should see they face. It's funny to me on the inside because hmm. especially, you know, other races, they automatically assume, because I got tattoos, you know, and, you know, and so – they automatically assume, oh, he must be Democrat and liberal. But then when I get to talking to him, and sometimes I talk to him in a condescending way because they're sheer ignorance. On, and I'm not saying that they, they I mean, some successful people. But when they hear me, I mean, you should see their face. It's, it's, it, it'd be so funny. And sometimes I've had people walk away from me once they found out that I'm a conservative. I love my country. I've been around the world. You know, you should see their face. And, and it, it's actually funny to me. Mm. 
Well, mm-hmm. listen, mm-hmm. thank you so much. We appreciate yeah, your, we appreciate your, that. Your, your call. And, Thanks, uh, Kevin. Uh, it's like I said, it's it's what we have said. The the goal has to be where you know, people are viewed as autonomous beings and right. and judged by the content of their character. And because we do talk radio, the substance of your argument. Well, I've and always you, been fascinated about, you know, other people's lives, right? Their, their yeah. experiences and everything else. And, and, you know, what's it like in the, the daily life of, of another individual, any other individual? And, and so I've always had that kind of, you know, curiosity of what people are like. But in, in, inside the political movement, inside the liberal political movement, you can't have that. You can't have people talking to each other. You have to build the fear. You build the fear to keep people from talking to each other. Because once people talk to each other, and we've been saying it for years, in our daily lives, generally speaking, we get along. As Kevin mentioned, and as we mentioned, yeah, there are people out there that are ignorant and racist. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, as a society, we get along in our day-to-day lives. But the left can't have you believing that. They need you to believe, and the the idea would be we can't have people talking to each other. We can't have conversations. Because once you do, then that entire narrative fails completely. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. Check out all the latest in news, events, trekking information, and podcasts at Red Eye Radio's website at Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carly, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 Red Eye. I completely forgot. Hmm. Yeah, you know Kevin in Chicago and and the the mayoral race. Oh yeah, you you saw. I mean, the headlines were all over the place yesterday. Mm-hmm. Everywhere I looked, mm-hmm. uh, Lori Lightfoot uh, believes race and gender contributed to her election, yeah. her reelection uh, loss. And okay. I went, wow, her and Kamala Harris. Yeah, it's like, right. and, and and the best thing is when you realize it, it's like just the media, and she blamed the media also. The racism <laughs> in the media. Well, wait a minute, it's all. It's all liberal. I mean, right. it's, the primary is Democrats. Right. And just like Kamala Harris, she's basically saying Democrats are racist. Yes. The liberals of Chicago, <laughs> liberals of Chicago are, racist. are racist. Nobody And ever misogynists. Puts, nobody ever puts that together. No, they don't. They don't. The media never, you know. No, but that's the claim. That's what she's claiming. Right. They're going after, de- they're saying Democrat. These are Democrats saying Democrats are racist. Right. And as we say, it's about time. Right. Exactly. <laughs> At least she recognized that, but nobody in the media recognized <laughs> what she was actually saying. Yes. Yeah. And as we also know, you know, wives do what their husbands want them to do. Yes, Girlfriends would tell do you, it. Yes. <laughs> they, they, they vote the way they that vote. their husbands or wives or, or, or their husbands or boyfriends or bosses. Right. Remember? They their don't, bosses. They don't have independent minds of their own. That's right. <laughs> well, how did Bill tell you to vote, Hillary? <laughs> This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One.
now. It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the planet, 866-90-RED-EYE. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Download our app today and listen when and where you choose if you can't listen live overnight. Last thing here on the whole student loan thing, because yeah. now it's a legal issue. But I thought, you know, when we're talking about uh, the the fact of the, the left in this country, that they can get away with, you know, they can get away with lies because we have a significant portion of the population that is ignorant. And we had mentioned Sotomayor uh, talking about uh, during the oral arguments the other day on the student loan transfer program, not forgiveness, it's a transfer, uh, that, uh, well, you know, uh, the justices shouldn't be deciding this. Mm. You know, they shouldn't be deciding how much student relief, you know, the, you know the, how much relief these students get. And, of course, she's lying. They're not deciding. They're deciding whether it's constitutional, you know, uh, for the executive branch and whether they have a constitutional argument. Right. That's what they're doing. But because the public is ignorant, and we mentioned the fact of the latest Annenberg survey from last year, which showed that the majority of the people in this country, 56%, cannot name the three branches of government, that means the majority of people in this country have no idea why the Supreme Court exists, what the role of the Supreme Court is, what the role of the judicial branches, and what the role of the executive branches, because they don't even know what they are. Right. And and so uh, ignorance is is bliss. Mm-hmm. We had a discussion on that yesterday. Yeah. A friend right. of mine heard, heard our conversation. Mm. He said, uh, man, he goes, you're the first person to ever say that, that I ever heard that said, ignorant is not bliss for you. <laughs> I was like, oh, thanks. Uh, but when you look at, here, the polling, this was a polling that was done last August before uh, Biden came out with his plan, you know, and they asked the question, do you, you gov, do you favor or oppose the government for giving up to $10,000 in federal student loan debt for those who earn less than $150,000 a year as single people or less than 300000 for married couples? So they asked that way with the forgiveness thing. Yeah, right. right. It was interesting, the caller that we got earlier who said his son believes that the money just disappears. It's the old Seinfeld. They just write it off. Yeah, who pays for it? Nobody. It's forgiven. Right, it's forgiven. It's just written off. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Democrats support it 88% to 12. Mm. Independents support it 58% to 41%. Republicans oppose it 63 to 37. But still 37%... Of Republicans, when you ask the question this way, support the for, the government for giving ten thousand in federal student debt. Why? Uh-huh. Because even Republicans, if you say, "Would you like free cash?" There's a ton of Republicans that say, "Yep." Now, when you ask the question, "Do you support this?" If it primarily benefited higher income people. Democrats that had 88% of support went down to 44% support. Hmm. Independents that had 58% uh, 
support for the student loan plan when you say it will primarily benefit higher income people from 58 to 26 percent support. Hmm. Republicans, 37 to 22. When you ask, and this is the real truth of it here, do you support it if it raises your taxes? Well, eventually it, it will raise your tax. I mean, they'll right. probably just throw it in debt, right, right. debt to begin with, but somebody has to pay the interest on that eventually, right. so it is going to raise your taxes. It is eventually going to raise your taxes. Right. You will be affected right. by it indirectly down the road, yes. The support for Democrats goes, when reality hits, mm-hmm. when you get out of the delusional world and you ask the question, you know, what are the consequences if you if you have to pay taxes? Do you support it? Mm. Democrat support goes from 88% to 56%. Mm-hmm. Independent support goes from 58% to 30%. Mm. And then finally, the other reality of what will happen when you bring, when you phrase it in the context of economic reality, mm-hmm. And you ask, would you be for this plan if it encouraged colleges to increase their tuition uh, and fees? Which, of course, that comes from the economics of every single bubble that's ever existed. Yeah. The college bubble, having easy money, college tuition and fees have skyrocketed way over inflation over the last 30 years in this country. Yep. Just like the housing market. When you had easy money, the prices of houses skyrocketed through the roof. Yep. That's what easy money does. Yep. That's the economics of it. So when you ask that reality, Democrat support goes from 88% to 33%. Hmm. 88% support to 33%. Independent, 58 to 21%. Republican, 37 to 18. So when you bring the econ- when you bring in the economic reality of it you probably have about 25% support for the college quote forgiveness in reality transfer loan hmm. program. That's, when you ask people and that was back last yeah, year. That's probably where I would have put it somewhere around there. Which is why you can't get it done in Congress. This is why the Democrats couldn't get it done in in Congress. Not only did they not have the seats in the Senate, enough seats to get it through in the Senate. But in the House, why, you know, again, you start looking at the breakdown and it starts coming back at you. Because in those districts, people start asking, well, wait a minute, I don't have a college loan. What do I get? And you can't, you can't get there politically. This is why they had to make this move. It, it, the power does lie in Congress. They have the authority to do it. Yeah, they could do it. There's no political will for them to do it. And it, and it's because the majority of people really don't. When you break it down and ask the real questions behind it, the majority of people don't support it. Yeah, when you bring reality and the consequences yep. of it and yep. you don't lie, right. because as we have stated, by saying it's loan forgiveness, that is a lie. It's a lie. It isn't loan forgiveness. It's transferring the responsibility of 
college loan debt from somebody who signed a contract and received the benefit and the government stating it is more moral for people who did. This is the morale, as we've always stated, this is a morality behind it. Yeah. To the Democrats, it is more moral for the people who actually sign the loan receive the benefit of that loan, it is more moral to transfer their debt to somebody who did not sign the loan, did not receive the benefit of the loan, and in many cases, therefore, don't have the higher education that was received from those people. Word it that way and see what the support is. Right. Word it that way, that it's a student debt transfer program from people who signed the contract, received the benefit, and it will be transferred to people who did not take out that loan and did not receive the benefit. See what the polling is at that point. Well, I mean, that's it. You, you do a simple man on the street and walk up to people. Are you willing to pay higher taxes if it means we can help pay off student loans for other people? Yeah. It's the forgiveness. And I'm so glad that the, the, the one gentleman called the show today who talked about his son, mm-hmm. who's got a law degree. Yeah. I said, well, what do you think happens? Well, who do you think pays for it? Nobody does. It's forgiven. It's, it's just forgiven. forgiven. It's, it's, and I'm like, my God, we do live in the Seinfeld world. Yep. Just write it off. Mm-hmm. Write it off. Right. Meanwhile, President Uncle Leo. I'm sorry. I just. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> By the way, I was thinking about that yesterday. <laughs> I was thinking about, you know, that, you know, Biden always seeming lost and not what's going on. Yeah. Doesn't know what's going on. And then uh, looking at the Garland yesterday. Merrick Garland, the attorney general's, you know, stumbling over himself. And I'm like, my God, we have an Uncle Leo government. Well, and and it's almost as if let's just, you know, we're, you know, it's because it's really funny here because I was reading the thing that 75 percent of Americans are concerned about the the president's cognitive state. And the Democrats and the family say he's absolutely fine. He's as good as any human being out there and nobody buys it. And to the public, it's almost as if I'm thinking of Uncle Leo. Remember when he was shoplifting? Mm hmm. And he says, he goes, he says, what are you doing? Your shit he goes, I'm an old man. Right. I just tell them, oh, I didn't know what was going on. This book inside of my jacket. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just, uh, I'm confused. I'm yeah. confused. And I'm like, my God, it's what it, I was watching Garland. I go, that's what the imagery is like that, that I really don't, don't know what's going on. It's I, so funny you say that because I thought to myself, wait a minute. When he stepped up to the podium to talk about the the uh, raid on Mar-a-Lago, that was a very different Merrick Garland than what we saw yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I thought, is he is he playing that up? Oh well, we, we just we just we're just trying we're just trying to do the best yeah. that we can. Uh, I, we I, just I, believe that uh, we just we're trying to you know our approach is we're just trying to. And I thought to myself, hold on a second, this isn't the guy who was at the podium. A few months ago. And nobody knows anything. I signed off on that. I signed off on that warrant on the Trump raid. He stood up and boasted about it. Oh. 
Mm-hmm. I got to get to that. I just remember that just reminded me. There's so much news out there. Yeah. The New York Times story mm. that there were people in the FBI that did not want to do that raid on Marlon. We've been asking that question that from the beginning. Did not want, they did not want to go that direction. They said, we need to ask him first. Yeah. Right. The next president. And, and let's coordinate this with him, and, not do it while he's out of town. And this was a New York Times story right. on this yesterday. Yeah. I'll have to get to that one. I just mm. just remembered that right now. Yeah. But and also we'll get to some audio of the 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 highlights, lowlights of some of the questioning to Merrick Garland yesterday, mm. really from Tom Cotton and Ted Cruz. Those are the two. Yeah, Tom really... Cotton was really on it, I thought, uh, did a really great job. And, and, you know, I mean, going after him on a number of things, including, you know, uh, why aren't you, there are people boasting about, you know, uh, the protests and activity outside of the home of, of uh, Supreme Court justices. You went after, your Justice Department went after the people on Capitol Hill, and they were able to find them from, their social media pages and identify them and and the whole thing on the January 6th thing. And you put uh, the Tom Cotton claim millions of man hours on that. But you're not doing anything here when these people are boasting about it. They're not, you know, these people aren't aren't uh, intelligent criminals. They're boasting about their protests and their activity when it comes to uh, 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 being there out in front of the Supreme Court justices homes. And you're doing nothing about it. And Garland couldn't say a thing. He didn't have an answer, of course. And uh, Marsha Blackburn uh, going after him and and basically pointed out the bias. The very bias. That, oh, no, if it's if it's um, uh, uh, committees led by Democrats, you're right there. You're cooperating. But if it's. Committees led by Republicans, oh, that is an open matter, and we're not going to cooperate because it's an open matter at the Department of Justice. Wow. I mean, he failed at every turn. It was weak. 86690-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. Shell Rotella with advanced synthetic technology. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye. Okay, I uh, made a mistake. I said the New York Times had the the uh, the 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 story i actually saw the headline uh in the washington post okay. uh about uh fbi officials debating they had a different point of view whether to raid marlago or not right. the new york times story was on hunter biden's uh lawyer quitting right yeah so that was interesting to uh to uh hmm. you know to uh, to see that and they say right. it's because you know, of the strategy that's going on. And one of the things that even, you know, you, you see liberal legal experts saying is that Hunter Biden is using the Steve Bannon defense doesn't work. Right. Well, and, you know, it 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 only keeps it, it only builds more curiosity as it's being, the events are being reported. You know, the more reluctant he is to respond than, 
the longer the process, which means the more steps in the process, which means the more headlines it's going to get. Here is Hunter Biden's high-powered criminal defense lawyer, Joshua Levy, is reporting no longer working for the president's son after unease and dissent hmm. uh, plagued the legal defense team. Uh, he uh, was hired to work on opposing congressional investigations that seek to reveal the complexities of the family business schemes, the, the attorney was, hmm. and is no longer represented representing the Biden family business member, the New York Times reported yesterday. He's removed himself from the case reportedly due to infighting within Hunter's legal team and specifically Abe Lowell, who was hired in December to defend Hunter and the Biden family from nine congressional probes, including money laundering and wire fraud. Hmm. In the past, Lowell has represented high-profile individuals engulfed in political scandals, such as uh, uh, Bill Clinton. Um, Levy was reportedly discontented with Lowell's legal strategies and feared that the tactics could flop. That's where you attack everybody else. Yeah, right. So the attacks and lawsuits and all that. In February, Lowell was part of an effort to send Rudy Giuliani, Tony Bobulinski, and 12 others litigation hold letters to preserve laptop from hell records, a move seen by some critics as a public relations tactic to change a troubling narrative for the Biden family, which didn't work. And we actually questioned that. We went, what are you doing? Uh, Mike Davis, founder and president of the pro-Trump Article 3 project, told Breitbart News those letters were a desperate, frivolous, and laughable effort that would hurt the family's legal position because the lawsuit would lead to discovery, as we said, a legal process by which Hunter would be deposed on camera. And we said, you're not going to go after these guys. What do you mean? And yeah. we just and we talked about the stupid moves of the legal team, right? And you know, and now boom. So we'll see where that all goes. Hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Ah, we live in interesting times, do we not? Listen, I love it. It makes uh, a a tremendously enjoyable job even more enjoyable. <laughs> I didn't even have to go out and get a law degree. <laughs> it does i'm telling you things this has been wow we're to thursday already yeah this has been a really 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 interesting and entertaining week yeah it really it, yeah it has been it gets richer by the moment you know i mean it it really is sometimes it's it's like when you step away from it you're like and then you get back into it it, it really is like one of those rides where you you know you step up and it's like, oh my gosh, what's this going to be? And then you get off the ride, go, man, I want to do that again. Let's get back in line. This is this is really becoming more and more of an intriguing time to live in, and certainly for us to talk about. I mean, the conversations are just because the liberals make it so easy. Their own playbook and rule book just hands us a gift every single day. The IRS, the world's most...
you're a threat to democracy if you don't download our app, Red Eye Radio. And he's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 Red Eye. Yeah, so the Washington Post story is showdown before the raid. FBI agents and prosecutors argued over Trump. Months of disputes between the Justice Department prosecutors and FBI agents over how to best try to recover classified documents from Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago club and residence led to a tense showdown near the end of July last year, according to four people familiar with the discussions. Prosecutors argued that new evidence suggested Trump was knowingly concealing secret documents at his Palm Beach home and urged the FBI to correct a surprise uh, to conduct a surprise raid at his property. But two senior FBI officials who would be in charge of leading the search resisted the plan as too combative and proposed instead to seek Trump's permission to search his property, according to the four people who spoke on condition of anonymity to describe a sensitive investigation. Well, that was that they don't say it here. They say prosecutors ultimately prevailed on that dispute. Is that because of Merrick Garland saying, I signed it, I signed it, that he overrode the FBI senior officials on that? It's what it sounds like to me if the story is accurate and true yeah. from the Washington Post. Yeah. So we'll, uh, I'd love to know who those senior officials are at the yeah. FBI that wanted to work this out through Trump and not conduct the raid. And, well, the thing is, when you look, when you, hindsight now, when you see uh, the courtesy they extended the president. Yeah. When it was found in multiple places. Right. Uh, you know, you know. That which means, again, way worse than Trump that was in one location. Mm-hmm. And these FBI agents now looking at it going, well, you you might have had a case, but politically now you've sort of killed your case against Trump. Right. Because you gave incredible courtesy where you had the lawyers for Biden and you found them in multiple unsecure places. We knew what Trump had. Well, we knew is- what Trump had. We knew where he had it. It was yeah. secure. He had locked them up. We knew it. And if you're paying attention to the hearings, uh, the points that are being uh, made uh, that were made yesterday with Merrick Garland up there, uh, uh, again, uh, I think Todd, uh, uh, Tom Cotton and, and Ted Cruz uh, did a great job. Blackburn, I think, did a great job in pointing out the, the very clear bias that Merrick Garland has as the attorney general. And you can point to this story here. And see that, and you ask the right question, and that is, well, you know, is that the, the point that Merrick Garland is stepping up and boasting at the at the podium that day? I signed off on this. This is me. You said yesterday he came off as Uncle Leo. In fact, I do have uh, the, uh, the Ted Cruz questioning of mm. Merrick Garland mm. uh, uh, yesterday. This is at the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing. And they they covered. I mean, their lot was covered, but uh, this was Ted Cruz. Oh, I tell just to alert the members. And Senator Cruz is next. <clears throat> Thank you, Mr. Chairman, General. Welcome. Thank you. As you know, as I observed at your confirmation hearing, you had built a long record on the Federal Court of Appeals and a reputation of being relatively nonpartisan. And so I had hopes that your tenure as Attorney General would continue that record. I have to say I'm deeply disappointed in what the last two years have shown. In my judgment, the Department of Justice has been 
politicized to the greatest extent I've ever seen in this country. And it has done a discredit to the Department of Justice, to the FBI, and to the administration of law in this country. Let me start with a simple question. General Garland, is it a federal crime to protest outside of a judge's home with the intent of influencing that judge as to a pending case? Uh, the answer to that is yes, but I also want to at least respond to your characterization of the department, which sure. I vigorously disagree with. I believe the men and women of the department pursue their work every single day in a nonpartisan and an appropriate General way. General Garland, there are thousands of men and women who do that. And I'll tell you, I hear from prosecutors at the Department of Justice. I hear from agents at the FBI who are angry that it is treated as the enforcement arm for the DNC instead of upholding the law in a fair and even-handed manner. So you are right. There are thousands of men and women that are, that are doing the job, but it is the political leadership that you're responsible for. So you just said, yes, it's a crime to protest at the home of a judge. Same goes for jurors, by the way, with the intent of influencing a case. But in the wake of the leak of the Dobbs decision, when rioters descended at the homes of six Supreme Court justices, night after night after night, you did nothing. The department did nothing. When extremist groups like Ruth Senas and Jane's Revenge, openly organized campaigns of harassment at the homes of justices, you sat on your hands. When these same groups posted online information about where the justices worship, or their home addresses, or where their kids went to school, you again sat on your hands and did nothing. Your failure to act to protect the safety of the justices and their families was an obvious product of political bias. You agree with Roe versus Wade. You disagree with the Dobbs decision. And the Department of Justice under this president was perfectly happy to refuse to enforce the law and allow threats of violence. And as you know, those threats finally materialized with Nicholas Roski, a 26-year-old man from California who traveled across the country, was arrested outside the home of Justice Kavanaugh, armed with a handgun, a knife, and burglary tools. And he said he came there to kill Justice Kavanaugh because he was enraged by the leaked opinion. Now, of course, you're prosecuting that individual for attempted murder. But did you bring even a single case to enforce this law or did the Department of Justice decide this law doesn't apply if it's harassing justices for an opinion we don't like? When the Dobbs uh, draft was leaked, I did something no attorney general in the history of the department had ever done before. For the first time in history, I ordered United States Marshals 24-7 to defend every uh, residents of every justice. Well, Garland is a judge. You're familiar with asking counsel I'm to answer an a question. I am answering. Has the Department of Justice enforced this statute? Have you brought a single case against any of these protesters threatening the judgment justices under 18 U.S.C. Section 1507? Have you brought even one? Senator, you asked me whether I sat on my hands, and quite the opposite. I sent okay, 70 United States Marshals. Let me try again. And let Have me you, has the Department of Justice brought even a single case under this statute? It's a yes-no question. It's not a give a speech on the other things you did. 
The job of the United States Marshals is to defend the lives so of the So the answer is no. It's to defend the lives of the justices, and that's our number one priority. They have Why full- are you unwilling to say no? The answer is no. You know it's no. I know it's no. Everyone in this, in this hearing room knows it's no. You're not willing to answer a question. Have you brought a case under this statute? Yes or no? As far as I know, we haven't, and what we have done is defended the lives of the justices with so how 70 do you decide, U.S. Marshals. How do you decide which criminal statutes the, the DOJ enforces and which one it doesn't? The United States Marshals know that they have full okay, you, I recognize you want to give a separate speech. No, I don't want to How give a... do you decide which statutes you enforce and which ones you don't? The Marshals on scene make that determination in light of the priority of defense. The Marshals do not make a determination over whether to prosecute you. The Attorney General make a determination, and you spent 20 years as a judge, and you're perfectly content with justices being afraid for their children's lives... And you did nothing to prosecute it. Let's shift that, to another is, area. Can I answer the question? You, no, the, you the cannot. General, you have refused to answer the I question. I am answering your question. The Attorney General choose, does not decide whether to how arrest. How did you choose not to, not to enforce this statute? The marshals on scene. Marshals don't make that decision. They do make the decision of whether to make to an prosecute arrest. prosecute someone? No, they don't. If they make a, uh, if they make Marshals an, do not if, have prosecution. If they authority. make an arrest, right, then it goes to the marshals. Let's change topics because our, our time is limited. We've also seen across the country violent attacks to pregnancy centers by similar left-wing terrorist groups, including one, one graffiti of a, of a firebomb building, said Jane was here. There have been attacks all over the country. And yet, the Department of Justice has not brought these violent criminals to justice. You contrast that. If you're a violent criminal and you attack a crisis pregnancy center, that is not a priority in the Biden Department of Justice. Contrast that to Mark Houck, who's a pro-life activist. He's a sidewalk counselor. And he had an altercation with someone who allegedly interfered with his son's personal space and threatened his son, and he pushed him. Now, in an ordinary world, pushing someone would be maybe a simple misdemeanor assault, but not under the Biden Department of Justice. If you're a pro-life activist, what can you expect? Well, in this instance, according to Mr. Houck's wife, two dozen agents clad in body armor and ballistic helmets and shields and a battering ram showed up at his house pointing rifles at his family. Why do you send two dozen agents in body armor to arrest a sidewalk counselor who happens to be pro-life, but you don't devote resources to, count pe- to, to prosecute people who are violently firebombing crisis pregnancies. It is a priority of the department to prosecute and investigate and find the people who are doing those firebombings. They are doing it at night and in secret, so, and we have, found two, we have found one group, which we did prosecute. You we found are, one. How many have there been? How many attacks? There have been, been a lot, and if you have any information specifically as to who those people are, we would be glad, did, we did would be glad to have that. Did you authorize 20 agents going to Mr. Houck's house, and he uh, offered to turn himself in through counsel, but you didn't want that. The Department of Justice wanted to make a show of it. Did you personally authorize it? And do you want to apologize to Mr. Mrs. Houck and her seven children for being terrorized? The decisions about how to do that are made at the level of the uh, FBI. Okay, and so you, you see where this was, mm-hmm. uh, where, where this was going. And mm-hmm. obviously, and, and Tom Cotton actually broke down the Mark Houck story. He actually yeah. did went, went yeah. and, and went through the entire thing and said the Philadelphia prosecutor wouldn't prosecute. Right. You know, the Democrat prosecutor. 
they you know they wouldn't do it right uh that local prosecutors wanted nothing to do with it and and uh, this is where you know because they they viewed it and they said okay this was this was a threat to his son and and so uh when the justice department told him they were going after you know they were going to go after him he said well i'll turn myself in yeah. Just tell me, I'll right. turn myself in. Right. And they didn't do it. They wanted to make the show of the armed people going to his house. And remember, then this went to federal court and to the jury. And as Cotton pointed out, took less than an hour and the jury found him not guilty of all charges. And it's like, here's what you you know, you, you could see. And there was always a problem with never telling the rioters outside and the protesters outside the justice's home. The problem was... Anybody knows this. You simply say, you can't do this. This is against federal law. You need to move or we'll arrest you. And the fact that that wasn't done and that should have been the that should have been. You don't sit there and say, oh, OK, well, we'll let the marshals on the ground decide whether to enforce federal law. And if they don't wish to follow it, that's fine. You're the attorney general. These are a, a, a this was a leak unprecedented in the Supreme Court unprecedented the protesters at their house the doxing of the of the uh, of the supreme court justices absolutely against federal law you should have laid down the law and said either leave now or every one of you is arrested well and they didn't do that in in one sentence he's defending the countless men and women of the department of justice and then he's throwing them under the bus saying well the the marshals need to do that basically on the ground Right. They need to start. Well, they're not responsible for prosecution. Yeah, and and Tom Cotton also later broke it down as to how easy it is in terms of finding the individuals. Because their social media is filled with it. Right. And you and that's how the Department of Justice found people that were involved on January 6th. They spent countless man hours on that and they didn't pursue anybody who was involved in the in the protest uh, outside of the homes of the justices. This is very clear cut. And I think it was a very good job of Ted Cruz, I think Cotton, and I think uh, Blackburn and others did Even a very Grass, good job. Grassley actually did. Yeah, right, in yes. His, in, in his own slow way. Well, he's he is. <laughs> Deliberative way. He's a slow Not, talker, but if you listen to right. what he's saying, he made some very good points as well. And the demonstrations of that uh, uh, and the facts with, with Garland up there basically not answering the question, it's ridiculous. I'm sorry, U.S. Marshals don't decide prosecution. They don't do that, and you know that, and you can go out. You've demonstrated that cle- clearly when it comes to something that is on your agenda list that you can go out and pursue what you want to pursue, and then you're just letting other things slide. That is not justice. 86690 Red Eye. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Now, the San Francisco City Council complaining that uh, if they have to pay $5 million in reparation, mm. they 
they can't have a government and do that. There oh, isn't the money. Oh, <laughs> they need the money to hand out money. Oh. Yes. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the planet, 866-90-RED-EYE. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Download our Red Eye Radio app today. Listen to when and where you want if you can't listen live overnight. And thank you. Yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, here's a headline. Okay. (laughs) San Francisco's Woke Reparations Committee sparks fury as it reveals how it calculated the controversial $5 million payout it wants to give every eligible black resident. Mm. They admitted they did not use a mathematical formula to calculate the amount. Aha. Uh-huh. And did you, <laughs> it just wasn't the $5 million. Did you see, it wasn't just the $5 million that they that they're planning. It's five million plus complete debt forgiveness and a guaranteed income of ninety seven thousand dollars a year. Oh, oh, okay. Because I thought it was going to be something unreasonable. <laughs> the story's out yesterday. <laughs> we can't afford this. <laughs> What are you talking about? We get, oh, use the marijuana tax. <laughs> hey, the, the, the marijuana legalize it and tax it. It's like the the uh-huh. the marijuana tax raises ten million a year, and it and it's going down. That's we. Yeah. <laughs> now the goal of San Francisco. Do you remember mm-hmm. that the experts said that because of the liberal policies in San Francisco that it will soon be the whitest city in America. Yeah. Maybe that's the goal. Ah, they yeah. can make it the because it's so expensive. <laughs> no blacks, no whites, nobody will live there. <laughs> so right. there'll be no reparations to pay. Because nobody can afford to live in San Francisco. Right. <laughs> City supervisors claim the proposal is unrealistic. <laughs> claim the proposal is unrealistic? <laughs> well, according to their claim... Supervisor Hillary Ronan told the San Francisco Chronicle, I wish we had this kind of money in San Francisco's general fund, but if we want to maintain the services that exist today, we do not. Uh-huh. <laughs> Supervisor Shaman Walton uh, had authored the resolution in 2020 hmm. for the city to study harm done 
uh, to the city's African-American community, told the outlet that some city residents suggested using revenue from the city's cannabis business tax to help fund the reparations, Mm. despite the tax having been suspended for years and would not even come close to covering the $5 million per person. Not, not even Price tag close. Plus complete debt forgiveness, plus $97,000 a year. Not even close. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. According to the San Francisco Standard, the board and members of the public were scheduled to discuss the committee's plan to implement reparations, but Walton told the outlet that he... Uh, that he went to Columbia for a birthday trip with friends, and but his flight home has been delayed. Hmm. <laughs> he also deleted a picture from his Instagram taken at a Hooters restaurant in Medellin. Oh. So, <laughs> I don't know what that has to do with any of this. I, yeah, stuff. I was going to ask, they, what, they, what, what, how does it, that fit in? But they put it in the article anyway. <laughs> and I, and I, I'm sorry. I, I hey, by the way, he was at Hooters and he, he was at Hooters. the photo. <laughs> okay. I mean, what, what's what, the question? What is, what is that? Can you can you not be for reparations and go to Hooters? I mean, I don't. In right. Columbia. Right. Is it illegal to go to a Hooters in Columbia? I'm not. Look, I don't know a lot about foreign law. I just, uh, yeah, don't know how that fits in. Now, those wishing to make a claim under the program are required to prove at least two of eight uh, criteria. Choosing from a list that includes born in San Francisco between 1940 and 1996, has proof of residency in San Francisco, For at least 13 years. My God, that's discriminatory. And or personally or the direct descendant of someone incarcerated by the failed war on drugs. Mm -hmm. So if you're (laughs) if you're a former cocaine dealer. You can get five million dollars plus ninety seven thousand dollars a year in guaranteed income and all debt forgiveness. Does the debt forgiveness, if you're a cocaine dealer, include what the IRS will be collecting from you from the next 100,000 years for not reporting your income? Right. How much forgiveness are we talking about here? Wow. Oh, my, that's just, I'm sorry, that's, that's, that's funny. Well, well all, all of a sudden... The delusional mindset has come up against, well, here again, mm-hmm. another uh, liberal nirvana program mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. has hit the crossroads of reality street. Well, and again, we ask the question, what about other minorities? How will they be treated? Um, and how do you answer the question, what about reparations for uh, how we have been treated as minorities in this city. Mm-hmm. Is that not a valid question? It has to be. Yes. So, you know, you, I, I love this, this, well, we, we didn't really do the math. Well, what, what did you think the payout was going to be? 
I mean, certainly in your mind, you had a rough estimate. When you talk in terms of handing people, giving people $5 million each, then certainly you've done simple math. William Darity Jr., an economist who supports reparations. By the way, this is the, again, this is the perfect liberal circular firing squad again. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is just perfect. Uh, William Darity, an economist who supports reparations, even slammed the high price number, saying the payout needs to be somewhat realistic, <laughs> calling for $5 million payout by a local government undercuts the credibility of the reparations <laughs> <Okay>. effort. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it is unclear how many people in San Francisco will be eligible, but the city is home to roughly 50,000 African-Americans. If each re- uh, uh, resident qualified, it would take up a huge amount of the annual budget still recovering from the pandemic. To qualify, now this is really interesting, to qualify, residents need to have identified as black. Now, does this mean uh, if Rachel Dolezal has lived in In San San Francisco Francisco for for the proper amount of time, whatever is. And at least be 18 years old. Now are we are we still putting the qualifiers on on whether or not they have lived in San Francisco for set amount of time because that's kind of gone back and forth. You know, we want people to come here, come back to California. So Well, that was there's been a few plans. Right. You know, that the San Francisco plan wasn't that the other plan that that had come up. I think that was in were they talking about that in Los Angeles? Mhm that the reparations program should not be limited to state residents because people are moving because the cost of living is so high. They're leaving so the state. They're yeah. leaving the state. So the goal should be to pay people to come back into the state. Yeah. Because right. we had suggested the overall plan for We thought the red eye radio plan was the best plan. Mm-hmm. $5 million to each eligible person. Mm-hmm. $97,000 a year mm-hmm. uh, in uh, in unlimited uh, pay, mm-hmm. all debt forgiveness. Yeah. And it should apply across the board in California. Yeah. That would seem to be fair. Excuse me. Quote, fair. <laughs> end of quote. Yes. We're not saying it's fair. Yes. It's what they deem yes. as fair. Now, we believe in we believe in federalism where states should be able to make these decisions. On top of that, on top of this, after the reparations, double free health care for everyone. Whatever the hospital bill is, you double that. You make a payment to the hospital and to the patient. And to the patient. Oh, I see what you mean. Why? Yeah. Because you're California and you have unlimited wealth. Ah. Because, Gary, it's the right thing to because do. Because it's the right thing to do. Free food for everyone, including Surfer Boy. Yes. Whatever happened to him? I'm going to go look and see whatever happened to Surfer. 
remember showing well, I don't it. know, but that whatever he was getting, what was it, two, two, three hundred bucks a month? Yeah. And with inflation. Yeah, it's nothing now. <laughs> getting, it's nothing. And look whatever happened to remember when he went on Hannity? Yeah. Hannity said Hannity said, I can get you a job right now. For like eighty thousand dollars right. driving a truck. No, nah, it's okay. I, nah. I wanna be I wanna be beach bum and collect. Yeah. I want to play in my band. His band, maybe his band is touring. <laughs> oh, I remember a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. I think I mentioned this on the air. Mm. I actually heard some recordings of the band. Mm. It wasn't bad. <laughs> oh, okay. It was like, oh, okay. All right. I figured it was going to be more, you know, like surfer. I don't know. I was expected a couple of gnarlies in there right. or whatever. But yeah, but yeah. Remember, I'd never forget when he was on when he was on Hannity. Mm-hmm. And just and it was like no, he's, he's being offered a job, and it's like no, I don't want a job. I don't want a job. <laughs> but with inflation, I well, he's, hmm? and, and now he's in the mainstream. <laughs> no, he was quiet quitting before anybody knew what quiet quitting was. <laughs> he didn't have, even have anything to quiet quit from. <laughs> he was he was quite quitting a job he didn't have. Now this this was he was interviewed like on some national show, right? Mm. Isn't that uh, some news show? That's how he became. And then that was it, was it that? Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like a Doctor Phil, was it? I can't remember. Yeah, but with inflation, he's probably having to live on two couches now. How many friends or family members are supporting him now? Probably taking two or three more people. And try to see where I can't remember what his name was. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll have to. I'll have to. Uh, okay, all right. Hmm. Uh, Peasley, what's his name? Something hmm. Peasley hmm. says right here, Fox LA. Whatever happened to Surfer Dude? Some fifteen years later, want to know what happened to Surfer Dude? With so many people around the world to recognize, still surfing now. A thirty-five-year-old husband and father who has capitalized on his internet fame with a business opportunity called Get Pitted Surf and Snow. Okay, they said that, 15 years that later. Wasn't 15, that wasn't 15 That wasn't the same guy. The right, that's not the that's guy. That's not the same that's guy. That's not the guy. No, that's not the same guy. Yeah, because in California, there are millions of surfer dudes. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's not him. That's not the guy that was on no. Hannity. No. No. No, no but. Because that was like seven for, years ago, right? For this surfer dude, congratulations. <laughs> You did it. You become a productive you did it. member of society. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did see an interv- I'd interview with uh, uh, Laird Hamilton, mm. you know, about, and, and uh, I, what's his wife's name? Gabriel, Gabriel Reese. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and she was talking about being married to a surfer. <laughs> but <laughs> he cashed out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he that's get, a that's a whole right, different right. level. He, he wasn't a surfer dude. He was yeah. a professional surfer and one of the yeah. probably probably one of the best ever. Yeah, yeah. you could easily. Well, I think you, you could can make that argument. That. The yeah. best. Ever, you could yeah. definitely make that argument. So he is. He has a couple of million. Yeah, yeah so, but, got a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, all right. Eight six six ninety. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at JJ Keller. And I'm here to share a tip on compliance, safety, accountability. At the core of compliance, safety, accountability, or CSA, is FMCSA's Safety Measurement System, or SMS. The SMS uses seven safety improvement categories called BASICs 
to examine a carrier's on-road performance and potential crash risk. The categories of basics are unsafe driving, hours of service compliance, driver fitness, controlled substances and alcohol, vehicle maintenance, hazardous materials compliance, and crash indicator. Under FMCSA's old measurement system, carrier performance was assessed in only four broad categories. Violations or crashes that have occurred within the previous 24 months of performance data are included in CSA calculations, but more recent events are weighted more heavily than older events. Violations or crashes that have happened within the past six months are weighted 33% more than events that occurred six to 12 months ago. And violations that are older than a year are weighted 66% less than recent violations. This allows a carrier to improve their CSA score gradually as they see fewer and fewer violations. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller and Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Okay, I did do a little background. His name was Jesse Green Slate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. And and uh, he was found, Jesse Waters, when he worked or yeah, when he worked for uh, O'Reilly, mm. um, was, um, was in California for some reason and found him at a grocery store. Yeah. And that's how he became famous. Right. And he was buying lobster with his food stamps. Mm. And remember, he was just hanging around. And then, right. then Hannity brought him on afterwards. Right. Last, they did check in with him a year later, but I don't think anybody's heard from him. And I just went. He was on Facebook a couple of years ago because I think we talked about it. I went on Facebook. He, I can't find him on Facebook. Mm. So he's sort of disappeared. Nobody, he hasn't really been around. Uh, well, hopefully he's okay. Yeah, nobody's heard of I mean, he hasn't made the news since mm. like 2016. That was like 2014. It's crazy. O'Reilly still had a show. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's crazy. But that's where that <laughs> So there it is. But yeah. it, I had not much on Google at all mm. from him. Got to bring this story because this is this is one I love because this is just this is just this is perfect. Mm-hmm. Starbucks office workers drafted a letter to management on Wednesday as executives mandated a reduction in remote remote work opportunities. Employees within commuting distance of the company's Seattle headquarters, must travel to the office on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and a third day determined by their teams, according to a memo seen by CNBC earlier this year. Can you believe this is like a story with, like, urgency? According to a memo seen by CNBC earlier this year, several dozen office workers created a petition asserting that the firm would diminish productivity and violate trust with employees due to the change. This behavior of not listening to partners has impacted us. The support partners, an unforeseen and poorly planned return to office mandate is making our lives more difficult, prioritizing corporate control over productivity, diversity, and inclusion. <laughs> That's yeah. now come into it now. Mm-hmm. And individual job satisfaction. Our mission of serving one cup, one person, and one neighborhood at a time 
is explicitly ignored when corporate policies attempt to eliminate the individuality of our partners and our stores. Uh-huh. The petition added that morale is at an all-time low. Oh, okay. All right. And get a word in edgewise. Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye. Well, this is interesting. Uh, Biden's going to pull out his uh, first uh, veto pen. Uh, the Senate votes to block the Biden rule allowing retirement fund managers to prioritize social. We wish to pressure you. Uh, in you know, into doing uh, basically liberal social justice. Yeah, we want you to only invest in liberal social justice. Yeah, and of course, a company's responsibility, fiduciary responsibility, is to their stockholders and their investors. Right, that's what it's supposed to be. Right. We talked yesterday about Vanguard pulling out, saying, "Sorry, we're not going to do this anymore." Vanguard said we're done with this and more I'm, I'm reading this this is and, and by the way the Senate and the House both voted against uh the the executive order by the president to encourage uh you know the your retirement funds to not go in in oil natural gas it's doing great as mm-hmm. an example but in uh, in alternative forms of energy, right. which are simply guided by government subsidies. Right. So that can go up and down depending on what. But you don't have to worry about, you know, your investors and the return on investment for future retirees mm-hmm. worry about social justice and saving the planet. Right. This is sort of like, and we had talked about this yesterday, this is this is really like what is um, – what, uh, you know um, what is going on on a uh, on a number of of different uh, issues. I forgot I was going to say I had I had a whole thing all set up and it just popped out of my mind here. Mm. Uh, but the um, oh uh, well, mm. well, the idea of of forcing this wokeness on and and agenda into capitalism. It's nothing new to see corporations say, well. We have a, you know, our policy is to be earth friendly. That's a marketing thing that they do. A lot of companies will do that as a matter of practice. It's different. This is activism saying, essentially, we're going to target you if you don't get on board. This, this, this is like the follow up. I remember what I want to say now to black the whole Black Lives Matter and companies mm-hmm. getting involved in that and getting right. burned big time. Right. And it's like companies, you ever going to wake up? You ever going to wake? And I mean, the the asinine thing that Major League Baseball did enabling the race baiting of the Democratic Party and the lies of the Democratic Party on the Georgia election law, where now Democrats are saying, come on in, come on, you know, come on in. Let's have the Democratic National Convention in Atlanta. Wait a minute. That Jim Crow law is in effect that moved Major League Baseball. Eh, well, OK, never mind. We were lying about that. Mm-hmm. And they lied about it. They lied about it to cause Racial division and racial hatred based on a lie. They did what KKK leaders used to do. That's what the Biden administration did. And every single mainstream Democrat who didn't object to what was going on there, they lied about the Georgia election bill Mm. to create hatred 
among the races. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's reprehensible what they did, and companies got burned on the same thing from Black Lives Matter. Now, nobody wants to be associated with Black Lives Matter. Right. All these companies, oh, what do you mean? They've all bailed. Yeah. Before they were genuflecting at the altar of Black Lives Matter. Not anymore. Nope. And so I think companies are now starting to learn. And, and you know, you had Vanguard say, oh, I don't know about this. And this from the Financial Times. Listen, listen to this article that came out hmm. on uh, the 28th. Wall Street's largest asset managers, private equity firms, and brokers have warned that a backlash against sustainable investing is now a material risk. Yeah. In filings that show how anger over ESG principles has become a perceived threat to profits. A dozen big U.S. financial companies, including BlackRock, Blackstone, KKR, and T. Rowe Price, added language to annual reports filed in the past month, cautioning that pressures uh, such as divergent views or uh, competing demands, end of quote, on environmental, social, and governance investing could hurt financial performance. You don't say. The statements come in response to a campaign of against what uh, opponents call as woke capitalism that has drawn uh, support from such high-profile Republican uh, politicians as Mitch McConnell and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Because it's ridiculous. The focus of any organization, you know, you go to put your 401k in, everybody wants the focus to be on profits. How do we know? We know this because a couple of years ago, remember when when Exxon met in Dallas? Mm-hmm. Never forget, you and I were working together. And there was a group inside that said, we want to be much more climate friendly. Mm-hmm. You know, our whole goal has to be to eventually get rid of oil. Activist investors. Yeah. Yes. Activist investors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. These are active. This was really sort of the beginning of ESG Mm -hmm. where you saw this happening. These activist investors. Mm -hmm. They had to drop it because some of the biggest objection came from New York City pension funds that were invested in oil. Yeah. And they said this. This is about people's future retirement and their pensions. The only thing that matters is profit so they can retire. You have an obligation. You have an obligation. Yep. And and those are the things and and but the left is good at building that jealousy and envy. And then you get to, you know, the the where you're clashing with a union and union pensions. And it's like, okay, now we can shut up about it. The fact of the matter is you do have an obligation. And there are standards that corporations are expected to practice. But when you get into this activist mode, it goes far beyond that. <clears throat> because the idea really is to change the priority away from profits. Yeah. Then you're not a business. If you're doing it for a cause, 
then you shouldn't focus and you're not going to focus on profit. That's called non-profit. And there's a place for that in society. Go be a part of that. And corporations can make contributions along the way. They support a lot of nonprofits. In fact, you know what's interesting is that without the profits, then we don't have the, remember, Obama, you didn't build that. Actually, we built that too. Yeah. When he said, he said, you didn't build this small business. The bridges and the roads were built by the government. The government gets nothing unless there's a profit. So we built the bridges and the roads and the business. Thank you, Mr. President. On the the profits of companies and individuals. And the same thing with nonprofits. Without profits. There are no nonprofits. There are no nonprofits. There are no funded causes. Again, you know, we we talked about the political ignorance, for example, and uh, uh, again, how the latest uh, uh, poll shows that uh, Annenberg does it every couple of years, that 56% of people don't know the three branches of government. Mm-hmm. That's and, and so when there's a Supreme Court thing going on here and, and people say, well, we don't like what the Supreme Court's doing, and it's like, and it's like just over 50% don't trust the Supreme Court. Well, just over 50% have no idea why the Supreme Court even exists. Right. I wonder if the number of those, uh, how many of those people that have no idea what the three branches of government are even understand why the Supreme Court exists. And we have economic illiteracy and ignorance, too. Mm-hmm. People have no idea how economies work. Right. They have no idea how economics works. They come up with a little thing in their mind. You know, they they connect one dot. Oh, Let's raise everybody who raises to $20, $25 an hour. All right. And then you have more money, and then you spend it, and then the economy improves. Okay. No, there's more to it. No, I'm stopping there. Don't give me any more. It's mm-hmm. the entire thing we're dealing with right now on loan forgiveness. They lied about it. It's loan forgiveness. We had the father who called this week. His son is a lawyer and believes that his loan should be forgiven and his father asked him. It was a great call we had earlier. Well, who do you think is going to pay for it? Well, nobody. It's forgiven. Right. Wait a minute. We've got economic ignorance all over the place. It just disappears. It just disappears. They just write, as Kramer said, they just write it off. Mm-hmm. It just disappears. There are no consequences to it whatsoever. And that's what, you know, that's part of the problem. That, well, I mean, we're all doing nice things here in the... The guy, the CEO from Vanguard, laid it out really precise. Uh, it's, he said, "If if if you're in an investment group, you know your whole goal should be what's going to make me a profit." Yeah, that's it. If you start, the only reason you're there. Yeah, if you start basing your investment strategy on the policies of government and regulators, you're screwed. Again, if it's for a cause and not about profits. If profits are the last thing you're worried about and the cause is the first thing you're worried about, then you're talking about a nonprofit. You're in the wrong arena. Now everybody is scared to death. The, the, the thing is, well, now all of these investment uh, groups and, and, and firms and, and companies that are, you know, want to do the ESG, they're afraid now that these uh, other investment groups are now pulling out saying we're not going to do it. They're going to be able to gain all the funding, and we can't get the funding we need. Yeah. 
Duh. Right. Well, how do you think it works? What's what's happening is here, these people are telling the public the reality of it, that, hey, we'll make you a profit, because here's what our goal is to make you a profit. These people are saying, put your money with us and we'll be nice. Mm -hmm. And the people are putting it where they can get the profit. Right. Economics is starting to interfere with this. There's an incentive on this end, no incentive on this end. Economic incentive. And and that's the thing, is that what they want you to believe is that it, you can have both. And that you should have both. That you can have your activism and your profits, and the profits won't be affected by the activism. Well, the fact of the matter is, you can't. You can't have both. It will affect the profits. And when you try and 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 slice it up, what it comes down to really is, is the true activist wants the profits to be depleted. Look at this here. The disclosures follow several years of money managers when they began adding language to annual reports about the financial risks mm-hmm. posed by pro-ESG advocates. Well, duh! It's yeah. Like... <laughs> I mean... well, where do you think it's going to go? <laughs> what idiots. <laughs> We're not worried about the profit margin, and that company is, and that could hurt us because we're not investing in things that will make us more money, and they are. That could be a problem that we need to discuss. Yeah. I mean... Why, you idiot? I'm sorry. You're well, an idiot. You know, and, and, and that's it. I mean, it, it really comes down to it. Um, the goal is, is about what? E should be for efficiency. And S should be for stability. G should be for goal-driven. That's the planning. That's the business planning that gets you to profits and sustainable profits. You know, you hear so much in, in, you know, in the echo chamber that is social media well we we're look we're striving for sustainable and sustainable and sustainable when they talk about whatever product they're talking about they never well t- when, they- when it comes to when it comes to investments sustainable should be related and right in front of growth yeah but they never talk about having a sustainable economy no yeah that's my point <laughs> sustainable should be in front of growth sustainable right. growth for a company and then if you want to take your profits and put them toward your cause go do it please go do it that's your right to do so 866-90-RED-EYE get in touch with Red Eye Radio toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE aggressive commercial insurance protects tr- It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Now, I really don't know what effect uh, the Biden executive order encouraging companies uh, to practice ESG is is actually going to have. He's going to veto the bill today. The By the way, the bipartisan bill yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, to uh, to nix the executive order from, uh, from Biden. 
The thing is, though, all the publicity on this, you see it over the last couple of days especially Mm -hmm. you've got now there's more news on esg and how companies are saying this isn't good right this is red eye radio on westwood one Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord! We get it! They have chemistry! Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.